Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 53, How Peter Warren Singer Writes. This episode of the How Writers Write podcast is sponsored by Happy Writer. Again, forever, Happy Writer. So there were about 1,500 writers who participated in our Plot Your Novel in Just Five Days Challenge, and it was a blast. It was a crazy week. It was a wild week. Tons of plots got done in just five days. It was super fun. If you missed the challenge and you want to jump into it, you want to plot your novel, you can now take the challenge right inside of Happy Writer. We're offering a seven-day access to Happy Writer for just $1, just a buck. So jump in with Tiffany, Yates, Martin, and I as we walk you through step-by-step exactly what you need to plot your novel. To jump into your trial, visit howwriterswrite.com slash plot challenge, P-L-O-T-C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E to register. So part of the thing I've tried to do on this podcast is bring in all sorts of writers and writing processes and writing backgrounds and people, really get as much diversity I can into how people write. I love this interview with P.W. Singer because he is the first writer who who I've interviewed who writes with a specific kind of fiction that he calls useful fiction, and he's the first writer who writes with a co-author. Again, more diversity more variety means hopefully you see you can do this game however you want. This was such a fun and unique interview, not to mention we got to talk about AI and technology, which is stuff that is like right up my alley. In fact, if I were going to start another podcast, it would 100% be something in the realm of AI. Just fascinated by it. So anyways, I want to say thank you to Mr. Peter Warren Singer for this super fun and fantastic interview. And now, Without any further ado, here's the interview with Peter Warren Singer. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's guest is Peter Warren Singer. Peter is strategist at New America and a professor of practice at Arizona State University. Peter has written many nonfiction books on defense and technology, but he is also the co-author of a new type of novel using the format of a techno-thriller to communicate nonfiction research. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that statement. Ghost Fleet, a novel of the next world, was both a top summer read and led to briefings everywhere from the White House to the Pentagon. His latest novel is Burnin', a novel of the real robotic revolution. 
and has been described by the creator of Lost and Watchmen as a visionary new form of storytelling, a roller coaster ride of science fiction blended with science fact. Burnin was published on May 26th, 2020 in the US. Peter, welcome. Thanks for thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I like as I was researching you, I was like, boy, oh boy, we got a lot to talk about on this one. <laughs> the first place I want to go to, so um, I know you are um an, an expert in AI and and have written about it and studied about it. You have lots of stuff on it. Um, and so one of the things I've seen, I've seen these um reports that you know AI writes these screenplays or it composes a piece of music. And I'd love to know your belief if AI can and will eventually write good fiction. Oh, wow. Um, I know I'm starting out the softball question. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let, let's, let's ground the conversation. Okay. Um, the book, uh, as you said, is it's a mix of nonfiction research and fictional narrative. And to be able to do that, our rule was um, to stay within a generation. And that actually comes from uh, a great scientist, but an even greater science fiction writer, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, said that, you know, once you move more than a generation ahead, you move from the realm of science more into the realm of magic because mm -hmm. the you know you think about just the science understanding is different the technology is in, in development it's just completely dreamed up and so um yes short answer to yes if, if we've got no timeline we say you know 500 years from now a thousand years from now will uh, an ai um write a great novel yeah i think so uh if yeah. we stay within our generation no to the novel, yes to um, writing news stories, uh, writing short stories, writing poetry, writing music, because guess what? It already has. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, I was, I was recently, um, there was a, a class that's using burn-in. Um, it's actually a university class at Duke, and uh, it's, a, it's a law class. Um, Think about that for a minute. How cool is it that it's a novel being used <laughs> by so a cool. law school class? So but one cool. of the students wrote, and it wasn't about, um, they asked not about writing, but this music part, like, you know, how can AI ever write music and actually sent them a clip from a song that AI had written? It's basically, a, if you like the Beatles, it's a, um, it's a pretty good kind of Beatles-like sound. Uh, and um, so again, you know, it's not, hey, it's going to happen 20 years from now. We're already here. Yeah. And, and I think too, um, I, I could talk endlessly. I love this topic. And so I, I got to be careful not to like rabbit holes too much, but I think too about like predictive text and, you know, spell checkers and grammar checkers, which are in a way its own form of AI that we use as a tool as writers, right? Like I use this tool um, called Grammarly. I don't know if you've ever used it before, but it's this great way to essentially um, you know, I can paste in a huge document and it can then tell me all of the ways in which I could make my writing stronger. Not just I've broken a rule of grammar, but maybe there's a better word choice here or there. And I wonder, is that like on the continuum? Is that like the early stages of seeing how an AI can influence our writing? Oh, wow. Um, so think about it this way is that in many ways, uh, artificial intelligence is akin to an 
new kind of industrial revolution. So you have this, you know, classic narrative, and it's actually 100 years uh, old, exactly of robot rebellion, you know, the smart machine uh, rises up against the human masters, it, it was first uh, surfaced in a play in 1920 called RUR. Um, but instead, in the real world, it's more like an industrial revolution. So think of it as more like um, the steam engine or computers. And so what I'm getting at there is that the application across the entire system, society, work, you name it. So if the parallel is like the computer, think about how the computer has um, reshaped various writing tasks, right? Mm-hmm. It's already happened. Um, yeah. Uh, from, you know, where you write to how you write, et cetera. Um, now with AI, the same thing is already starting to play out. I think sort of, you know, across the whole uh, sausage being made of writing a book um, at the front end of it, uh, we're using AI for um, research, mm-hmm. Uh there are, uh, I did a prior book where um, uh, we were visualizing a, a battle scene in Hawaii and I didn't have to fly to Hawaii to do it. I was able to Google Earth, zoom down, pull satellite photos of exactly something that was going to be in that locale. Now, that's not better than walking around in person, but it's a decent, it's better than just completely making it up. Right. Um Oh, by the way, uh, even it may be playing out even earlier. Um, so Netflix already uses AI not just to recommend to you what you ought to watch. It also uses AI to determine what shows to make. Are publishers using AI to help them figure out the marketplace, right. what books sell more or not? They definitely use it to market to you. Right, but right. they're also, if they're smart businesses, they're using it to figure out um, what books to, you know, basically invest in or not. And then, of course, authors react to that. They react to the market that's there. Um, but then you get to kind of the craft of it, where you're talking about, you know, is it is it grammar checks? Is it spell checks? I mean, that's all happening right now already. Let alone, it's something that might suggest uh, another area of it. Oh, by the way, we um, are using AI for all the various kind of business side of mm-hmm. um, the writer's job. Um, uh, contract review. We all have to deal with that. Uh, guess what? The legal field's moving to using AI for that. We're not going to see the end of all lawyers, but we will see a reduction in the number of lawyers. And this is not futuristic. Already right now, um, an AI can do uh, contract review, can find errors in a contract at a higher percentage rate than a human lawyer can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I'm just kind of tossing different things out to you, but, but again, the parallel for people to think about is it's like a new, it's a, a technology like electricity, like the computer, like the steam engine, you'll see it applied across. And of course that also means to the writer's job. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is partially freaking out some listeners out there who are like, wait, what in the world? Um, but I, so my background before I, you know, started, but guess what? They said right? the same thing about novels. hundred percent. They're going to ruin the world. I mean, you know, television, and, and, radio, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah that the cycles continued. I, before I came to how writers write, um, I spent, you know, about, you know, 10 years in, uh, you know, the marketing and then, and then a 
big chunk of that in the data analytics and machine learning space. And so we butt up against this a lot, this kind of like using technology to do things that people used to do. And I, and I'm always curious of how this will adapt to the writing world. We can table that for now, because again, I could rabbit hole us for the entire thing. I'd love to talk more about not, not love to talk more about, but would love to transition to talking about, um, you have a couple super interesting parts of your biography and your work that I would love to dig into. And the first one is you are the first author I have connected with and interviewed um, who writes with a co-author. And I, I would love to just firstly kind of set up um, I, it, both Ghostfully and Burnin were written with a co-author, August Cole. And I would love to just set up like, what is the relationship um, look like in that um, writing fiction specifically? Sure. So it, it's funny because in other realms of writing, whether it's, you know, writing software to writing fictional TV series, movies, um, writing teams are completely commonplace. In fact, people doing it on their own is, is the rarity. Uh, there's, I can't think of, there, there are shows that might have, TV shows that might have a, a singular vision uh, by a creator, but they're going to have a writer's room around it. And um, let me be clear here, you know, so for August and I, it's, this is not a ghost writer situation. Right. Uh, this is very much a team. Um, and I, you have this concept of writing a book that, you know, it's the cliche of you know, someone takes their typewriter and goes to a, a lake for six, lake house for six months and they write it and then they come back. Um, or, you know, they sit in a coffee shop alone yeah. and, you know, and um, that's just not how we do it. Uh, we're a team. We kick ideas back and forth um, to be kind of technical about it. The best parallel is 3D printing. Uh, so we come up with a design, but then we go back and forth and back and forth. So there's, there's not a, you write this chapter, I write this chapter, and then we bring it all together. Instead, there's drafts flying back and forth and sometimes you're adding to them. Sometimes you're cutting. And then over the course of that back and forth and back and forth, layering, cutting, um, redesigning, it becomes something new. Uh, and it's something new that's our shared vision. Mm -hmm. And we very much get to a point where neither one of us can recall, you know, who suggested this change on that character or what that uh, piece of dialogue might, might be. Um, we think it's, obviously we're biased on it, but we think it's um, more effective that way. Uh, you know, two brains are better than one. Right. Uh, two life experiences are better than one. Uh, we get to um, uh, vet each other's ideas. Um, often what will happen is it's not a rejection. Someone will float something and someone, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, what if, okay, I like that. What if we then do this? And we get kind of a back and forth around it. Um, I, uh, it requires the um, writers to uh, respect each other's vision, to, to not have an ownership. That's my idea. I can't change it. Um, it, uh, I think it kind of requires us to like each other. Yeah, um, imagine our so, editor, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, our editor has said that, you know, we're strange and that we're the first team that, um, he's, uh, worked with that 
uh, we were getting along both at the start and the end of the project. <laughs> yeah, um, you did too, right? I was like, wow, it worked uh, for I mean, two. <laughs> we, we started out as um, semi-friends. We're yeah. now, you know, uh, as close as friends can be. Right. Um, but it, it's also, we, you know, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it's natural to us. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea. Uh, and, and you make such a good point, you know, because I can, television, you can have, you know, like you said, somebody came up with a concept, but then each show could have its, you know, generally has its own, you know, somebody who wrote the show, but then supporting that one writer as an entire writer's room. So it's a very much a group dynamic and you're right in that novel writing. We haven't taken that same perspective. I can remember there's one um, talk in my MFA where this, I, this concept of, of writing in collaboration came in, but that that's the only time you and that other one, and I, I'm really attracted to the idea. I like the idea of sharing it with a, the, 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 the journey with somebody. Um, one of the big complaints writers have is this idea, I'm doing this alone and I'm sitting by myself and it's so lonely, yada, yada, yada. And so this obviously is a huge antidote to that. I love the idea. I wonder how much of it is shaped by the history of the technology that we use to yeah. write. So, you know, you, you could not share a whether it's a papyrus or a typewriter, um, the documents that come out of it, um, yes, you could send them back and forth. Uh, but, oh, you know, it'd be everything from, you know, if you weren't in the same physical place, you'd have the, you know, uh, whatever it had to be mailed or ridden by pony. Um, the document itself, you couldn't tear it apart and add in edits without it being really difficult. Um, now, uh, you know, so August and I don't live in the same city. Uh, we, yet we are able to collaborate, um, with shared documents. So both of us can be looking at it at the same time, making changes inside the same document. Um, we're obviously able to converse and see and kick ideas back and forth. Um, I think just in ways that, you know, weren't possible, you know, if you were writing a novel, whether it was in, um, you know, 1800s or Hemingway's days or whatever, that we're certainly enabled by the technology, um, it may also just be the history of, um, how we came together on it. We did not, um, we are not people who started out, uh, as fiction writers and, mm -hmm. and this was, you know, our decided career. Um, we both came out of the nonfiction realm. Uh, you know, I've written a number of nonfiction books. Um, August was the, uh, wall street journal reporter. Um, I was actually, our first connection was, I was actually a source for him. Um, when he was doing an investigation as uh, back in the day on the topics of private military contractors and the Abu uh, Ghraib yeah. investigation. Yeah. And so, you know, he interviewed me as a source and then we kept running into each other. Um, Washington DC is not a big city. We kept running into each other actually on the subway and um, <laughs> we both had kids and we'd talk and we became friends. Um, and then, you know, I had this, um, I, this goes back to a prior book called Ghost Fleet. I had this uh, nugget of an idea that actually came out of um, some Hollywood consulting. Uh, and I shared it with him and he said, oh, can I, you know, I like it, but can I change it this way? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we kept sending drafts back and forth. And I think it was like roughly a, a 40 page, um, in Hollywood terms, you call it a treatment. Yeah. Uh, it's a thick outline. Um, you know, and he took it, turned it to 60 pages. I took what he'd done in 60 pages, turned it to 80 and right around when we got to like a hundred, we were like, Hey, 
are we doing this? Are we, <laughs> and that's at the point at which we said, you know, you know what, let's, let's pitch to publishers. Yeah. Um, and so it, we had already been doing the back and forth um, as opposed to like a more programmatic, I have decided I want to be a novelist and now I will write a novel. Yeah. I, I, I find it so interesting. So to, to, to wrap up this idea of like co-authors, um, it sounds like you and August had a very organic process of finding each other, you know, kids always tend to, you know, pull people together, you know, uh, but if, if there are people out there, if there's listeners out there who say, I love this idea, what are some practical ways that I could get started? How would you tell somebody or instruct somebody, give them some advice of like how to get um, some sort of collaboration going with a co-author on one of their projects in a way that, you know, like you and August, you won't result in one of you killing the other person. Well, I think um, the first is it to be maximally successful. It should be a shared vision from the point of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, if it is uh, one's person, one person's idea, and then they say to someone else, help me write it. That's a very different dynamic. Um, I think you could, you know, you should be collaborating around the vision, the core themes from the, the very beginning. Um, I circle back to what I was saying before. Uh, you should check yourself and say, you know, do I have a sense of ownership over mm-hmm. the ideas? Um, everything from you know, the character has to be this way, or this is, uh, the, this is what has to happen in this scene. Um, if you are not willing to accept changes because you have that ownership. Um, and look, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have it. Um, you know, we've all got life experiences. We all have some, something we want to tell, or maybe it's a character that was derived from someone in your life. Um, I, was, I was just coming off a call with, uh, there, there's someone exploring a TV treatment of, of, of uh, one of our projects and they're changing they, they were fearful of changing something of one of the characters. And they said, you know, um, I didn't know whether it was like, you know, this was like one of your daughters and, and, and <laughs> we're like, even if it was, right. you should feel free to run with it. You know, the, we created a book, you're running with a TV idea, different medium, but also, you know, if you think it's told better that way. Um, but again, maybe it's because it wasn't based off of my daughter. I might feel differently that way. Right. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is if you have that sense of ownership, um, it's going to be harder for you to engage in that collaboration. Uh, clearly then figuring out the, um, the pace and type of your activity, um, you know, having a, a sense of shared expectations on uh how often you're going to be working together, you know, be it through video conference or phone versus how much of it is going to be each of you writing. Um, is it each of you taking different pieces of the puzzle or is it you collaborating around the same scenes? Um, those are the kind of decisions you ought to make uh, going into it, you know, mm-hmm. so that I think it's when there's different expectations, that's probably when it's going to, um, uh, end up uh, in, a, in a problem scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like setting the stage to be able to work successfully. Cause I can imagine if you wrote a scene or a character and you're like, I love this. And this is exactly, you know, like you said, maybe it's not your daughter, but it's certainly something that you feel really um, compelled and strongly about. 
and then your co-author comes by and says, you know, psych, I'm going to, you know, cross it out that there could be some tension points there, but having that established ahead of time. And you, I, you I also, just love it. I love yeah. the concept. I absolutely am an enamored with Thanks. this idea. I, 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 it's so um, simple and revolutionary at the same time. And I feel like those are the things that have big punches, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I think yeah. it may be why, you know, we have so many other unconventional, you know, is one way of saying it uh, new is a different. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we work as a writing team. That's obviously different we produced in effect, a new kind of book. Um, yeah. It's nonfiction research, but shared through a novel. Uh, so, you know, it's a, these are novels, but they come with id notes and there is it. And it's not, you know, uh, in notes that are, um, you know, like infinite jest, you know, a continuation <laughs> of the fiction in it. Right. Um, it's Endless not, end notes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not like, uh, um, you know, and, and you might see this in some, uh, you know, Tolkien where there'll be a, a footnote down to, you know, Aaron, Aramore is the great grandson of Aramore, you know, to, to explain the mythology further. Yeah. No, this is an end note the way you have it in research because it's, it's carrying across that research. And oh, by the way, it's not just backing it. The very design of that scene was built around a mix of entertainment and education. So we deliberately chose to put this technology in or this choice that this character made is not only because we think it's entertaining, it's because you're going to walk away from it understanding more. And that's a differentiator with, for example, traditional science fiction. Um, it's, uh, and so again, this was something new. Um, it was funny because we, when we um, had the, we spent hours and hours both between the two of us talking about, you know, should we do this? Can we do this? Then we spent hours and hours with the editor. Should we do this? Can we do this? Um, then the editor was on board and then it was the rest of the publication house. You know, this is, it, it's a novel, but it's nonfiction. Where do you put it? And then now it's like such a complete no brainer. It's a selling point of the project. It's what's made the projects notable. It's what, um, and yet it was this massive debate. Um, But to us, I think maybe because we were already an unconventional uh, duo, it didn't seem as much of a leap. Um, It's also led us to make certain unconventional character choices. Um, It's almost like if you're at Vegas, if you're you're already making one bet. You might as well double down. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, we 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 have a techno thriller that has a female central pro- protagonist. That is weirdly an anomaly in the space of techno thrillers. It shouldn't be, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And we, um, as we were building out our story, the character spoke to us in a different way um uh, there's there's just the way the way august might my, my uh it talks about it is that you know the more we look the more she looked back at us mm-hmm. as we were building this character but again it was something that you know whether it was the there was a lot of initial like are you sure about that you know what and no because it's it's a rarity it's a lot easier in the space of you know the tom clancy and the big that's almost always you know 
Jack Reacher, whatever, right. um, Jack Ryan, Jack, they're always Jack something. Jack um, something yeah. yeah. That, that it's a guy. And if it is a female protagonist, there is a, um, not, they're not multifaceted. They're, they're almost always the one B helper to the male lead, um, girl with dragon tattoo, red yeah. sparrow, um, as opposed to no, they can be the lead. And they can be a lead who is like the rest of us wrestling with their multiple identities. So, you right. know, mom, uh, wife, also someone hunting down a criminal. And right. so you get to follow them through the different spaces of their life. It just felt like more to do. And, but again, to us, it was like, this is what we, we, this is where the, the story development leads us um, that maybe, you know, if, if we'd not been, um, if we've been doing it each on our own, we maybe wouldn't have made those choices. Yeah. I, and you, you kind of touched on a topic that, I mean, you perfectly transitioned me. So thank you for, for transitioning uh-huh. to my next topic, but you touched on it a little bit and, um, you know, in your bio it says you kind of have this new form of fiction. And, um, I said, I was going to put a pin in it and come back. And so here we are. It says in the format of a techno thriller to communicate nonfiction research and where I wanted to start with that is what what made the topic you wanted to communicate, the nonfiction research you wanted to communicate, what made fiction the best way or or the way you chose to communicate that research? Why not just write it as nonfiction? Like what what was the and and I, I'm positive that there's a a, a huge rationale and, and belief and I would love to know um what pushed you into that direction? So the starting point for it was the experience that we had with um, our book, Ghost Fleet, which is, is the subtitle, A Novel of the Next World War. So mm-hmm. it was a novel about what a war between the US and China and Russia might look like. Um, but it came with research and notes uh, so that, you know, as opposed to even as, you know, and I loved reading early Tom Clancy, even as realistic as that read, it actually, there was a limit to that as opposed to in Ghost Fleet, the rule was every single technology in it, every single scene, every single kind of attack is pulled from the real world. And oh, by the way, here's the research, you know, here's the, the if you don't believe the system can be hacked, here's when, here's a report of when it was hacked. Mm. Um, and uh, that wasn't as hard as building it as people would, would think, because, you know, there's so much that seems like science fiction that's actually real. Same thing, not just for the, um, the, the technology, it's the, the people that would, that are there and how they would operate. Um, so we, you know, interviewed F-15 pilots, you're in a dogfight, what move would you pull um, if someone's on your tail, you know, that, those sorts of things. And you get the macro stuff to you get just the tiny details mm-hmm. that, that really sell a scene. Um, so we'd written the book um, initially was just because uh, August and I, um, as, I, as I said, we had this story idea and frankly, we wanted to recreate for people the experience that we had had as kids of, um, you know, just enjoying those, those, for example, early Tom Clancy's. Um, we didn't know each other as kids, but we each had sort of a similar experience of, um, you know, I remember reading Tom Clancy books in the back of my mom's station wagon 
when we drove to the beach for summer vacation. Um, you know, think about like I've dated yeah. everything from station wagon. To yeah, right. Clearly, right. I'm not wearing a seatbelt back then. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, August I, the, was, the, the, the like you seat in the back of the station wagon. It was it wasn't wedged in, but yeah, yeah no, yeah. wedged in between the the suitcases and the backpack. Right, right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and you know, everybody's had those experiences of just yeah. loving reading something, and we wanted to kind of recreate that for today. But you know, going back to we what we talked about, we kind of didn't know any other way to do it, but to blend in what we knew from the real world. You know, he was a defense beat reporter for the journal. You know, I work with the military had written, I mean, I continue to advise the military. Um, and so it, you know, was, I don't know how else to put it. It, it was hyper-realistic in that manner and surfaced a lot of concerns that people had. So the book, um, you know, it, it, it did well and, you know, it was a summer beach read for people and all that. But what happened is it turned out to be the most influential book um, that uh, I'd written, even though I had nonfiction books that were on the military reading list and the like. Um, we were invited to brief its real world lessons everywhere from the White House Situation Room to, wow. I testified three different times about it to Congress. Wow. Um, the the tank, which is the um, the, chairman of the Joint Chiefs meeting room inside the Pentagon, um, uh, multiple other nations, Australian Parliament, the Nobel Institute, um, over a hundred different military units everywhere from uh, the deck of an aircraft carrier to JSOC, the team that got bin Laden. Not just these sort of teach the real world lessons, um, it led to three different investigations because of things that we had surfaced in the book. Um, there is a $3.6 billion U.S. Navy ship program called Ghost Fleet. Um, they gave us zero dollars for it. <laughs> um, uh, it led to changes in Army captains training, you name it. So it had this massive impact and continues to. Um, and so it struck us that what we put our finger on is um, something that we now call useful fiction. Uh, and it actually connects to larger research around the power of narrative, of, mm -hmm. of a story mm -hmm. well told. And um, now I'm gonna put my kind of wonk hat is that basically there's three attributes of narrative, of storytelling in the real world, not just for pure entertainment's sake. Um, and one is research shows that it's a better way of sharing complex or new information. So. Um, I, when you read a memo or get a PowerPoint briefing, two parts of your brain light up. When you get information through a story, four parts of your brain light up. It, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, frankly, storytelling is the oldest communication technology yeah. of all. We were yeah. using it back when we were sitting around fires in a cave. Right. PowerPoint, it's 30 years old. Second <laughs> value of narrative is um, narrative done well, emotion. And as everyone from a used car salesman to a politician knows, it's not just the facts, it's the emotion that leads to action. It's the emotion that drives the cell. So here again, if it's not just you're trying to explain something, but you're trying to drive action, narrative is a great package for that. And then the final um, value of narrative in the real world is connection and distribution. We as humans connect over story. We all, whether it's, you know, meeting someone new 
to um, when we talk to a friend or family member, at some point we will start talking about the stories that we enjoy and even more that they might enjoy too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just saw this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are you reading? Oh, I was just on vacation and I, um, you know, I, I read the best novel. You would like it. No one does that about white papers. No (laughs) one says, man, I read the best white paper. You would love it on the next vacation that you go on. And so with ghost fleet, what happened is, um, our target audience became our, our best advocates, not just in sharing, you know, oh, I enjoyed it, but the head of the U.S. Navy, you know, he ought to get like a sales cut out of it. He was going around telling other admirals to read it. And he told us it was because he wanted someone else to talk to about the book. Um, and so useful fiction basically takes that power of narrative and says, as opposed to sci-fi, and I love sci-fi, It says, hey, let's actually ground it in research and let's deliberately share that research. So you still got to do all the hard work of traditional nonfiction, but let's put a package around it that's entertaining. Um, And so we can have that double punch of education and entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, I'm completely captivated by everything you're saying. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm, we're pushing, I don't know, 60 something interviews now for the podcast and, um, your description of the power of story really, um, it really kind of fires something up in me because oftentimes we think of story and we think of storytellers potentially just as dreamers, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with just being a dreamer. I mean, half the show is dedicated to the dreamy part of storytelling, but I love the idea that, story is one of the most powerful tools we as people have to also just communicate with each other. And it can be communicating, you know, like, you know, in your books, you know, military realities or futures or threats or whatever it might be. It can be communicating the inside of our hearts. It can be communicating all sorts of things, but, but the idea that story has one of the biggest punches. It's one of the biggest tools in our toolbox to communicate with each other. Not this kind of rational white paperish talk that we sometimes do. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to be like, like chewing on this for a week. I mean, I, it just absolutely um, hits me in the kind of like the, the most uh, fundamental parts of Brian. It's, it's just, it's so powerful and I just absolutely love it. And I love communicating that message to people. Everyone who listens to the podcast are storytellers, right? Every single person. And the idea that at your disposal, you have the tool of this magnitude, every single person to communicate your truth, your story, I just think is, is um, as radical as the idea of AI writing a novel someday. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome to hear. And, um, you know, it, 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 I need to be, you know, 1000% clear. I am not saying that it means we should not do traditional fiction, nor right. that traditional of fiction of course, can't yeah. be useful. Um, I, you know, I'm an avid reader and I, I love it. Nor does it mean that we shouldn't do white papers and articles and nonfiction. <laughs> right. I have written more nonfiction books than I have written useful fiction books. Um, I've written, you know, I don't know how many policy wonk articles as part of what I do, but it is a, it is a um, another toolkit that we can um, utilize again for, you know, explaining new or complex concepts. Um, 
it also has, you know, attributes that uh, I think are all the more powerful and useful today in terms of um, trying to understand things from multiple different perspectives. Uh, that's one of the great things of traditional fiction. Uh, can't we apply that to real world issues? Uh, so, you know, uh, Bernan um, looks at what is uh, AI and automation uh, mean in our world? Well, you know, we can read a magazine article, a newspaper article about it, or we can experience it through the lens of different people in that world. What is it like mm -hmm. as a parent? What is it like um, as a spouse? What is it like as a criminal? What is it like as a law enforcement? What is it like as a lawyer? Oh, by the way, not just different perspectives, um, but also different locales. How does it play out everywhere from the train station to the Starbucks, from a rich neighborhood to a poor neighborhood. And that, you know, that's the power of narrative, but what's great in combining it with a nonfiction is that it's not just you dreaming it up and saying, no, 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 this is the, this is actually the right. hard data on what that technology is going to do, or this actually is the plan for how the police or Amazon is going to use this technology now let's experience it from these multiple different angles and that'll surface new insights. It'll surface new emotions. Um, one of the things that, that I think is, you know, uh, is powerful and we're wrestling with this in a lot of ways is that there's a lot, uh, for example, Silicon Valley, you know, pushes on us as utopian, but in execution, it feels kind of dystopian. Right. Um, and, you know, we're, that's maybe one of the underlying themes of, of, of Burnin is um, it, it's neither utopian or dystopian fiction. It's just pulled from what's coming. Now, if you react and say, wow, this feels really dystopian. It's like, that's because you, you're experiencing it's where you don't, you know, from your point of view, it, it scares you from someone else's point of view. Maybe it's how they're going to make a lot of money out of it, but that's, yeah. this is the world to come. And oh, by the way, going back to the nonfiction side, maybe it's not prediction, maybe it's prevention. There are certain things that we portrayed in Ghost Fleet that will not happen because of the novel. Mm. People read the novel and then said, ooh, I don't want that to happen. What can I do to prevent that? Um, and maybe some of the things might happen the same, I hope, and burn in that some of the more kind of elements that read dystopian, um, they don't have to be. Uh, and and we, there's certain things that we can do to avoid them, but part of comes from um, one, helping people understand in a way that maybe they would not through a traditional briefing paper, or even nonfiction book, and two, maybe compelling action in a way that wouldn't yeah. be achieved in the traditional manner. Yeah, it's, it's like the experience. It's like we can only to a certain degree, we can only absorb so much information. That's a capital I information with our, you know, logical brain. We can uh, absorb lots more capital I information through an experience. Right. Oh, wow. and, you know, one and, of the other things that's on that, that's so great is that we, yeah. we know this and, and um, you know, the saying of a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. It's the same thing in, in narrative. We, it's the tiny details that, um, can do so much work for you. Um, it might be in, in explicating something about a character. So um, think about Jean Le Carré and um, 
how much is revealed by uh, the character of um, uh, the central smiley having always rumpled clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much, you know, comes through in, right. in this sort of world of dapper. Uh, um, it can, might be a detail like that that reveals something about a character. It might also be the way you can drop in a detail that um, drives so much more in, 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 in illustrating fact. So um, Burnin is not a book about um, climate change or the like, uh, but we, we actually researched um, what will be the average temperatures in certain cities 15 years out and then they're in the background and, you know, it's never said it is now 77 degrees. Right, right. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a character who's um, uh, wearing short sleeves on, in February. Um, it's uh, how it's changed uh, in Washington, DC, who wears suits or not. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, one of the predictor things um, that was, you know, unfortunately like so much in the book has come true a lot more rapidly than planned. Um, what, the um the details of what the sky looks like because of uh more frequent forest fires out west Um, i'm experiencing that right now in denver and again so you know this is something that might have seemed futuristic to people and yet it's a little background detail um that helps convey hey this is part of the world to come or maybe you don't like it maybe you ought to do something about it yeah what what um what is really coming out to me and then I, I like literally blinked and I'm like, oh man, I need to, uh, I can talk to you all day, but I was like, I gotta get us to our final five questions. Um, uh-huh. But <laughs> uh, what is really coming out to me and what I love about this talk and I love about your process and just your perspective is in the same way, I'm gonna make a huge analogy here, but in the same way, Lord of the Rings was Tolkien's, he was using fiction to describe the world as as it was in a way he couldn't have done it in any other way you know and, and when you see frodo and and what the stories do to him you know he he's explaining what the wars had done to himself and the people that he served with um and, and you know if, if if he would have written a treatise on this we probably wouldn't be talking about him in every turn right i mean at most podcasts tolkien comes up right and in that same way, it's like you're using fiction to describe our world and experience our world for people who maybe, you know, in the same way a lot of people didn't go to war, but but could understand a piece of it a little bit better through Frodo. You're kind of using the same idea of like the people who don't have, you know, the technological depth that you do can, can they'll understand and experience it in a way that makes it so much real. Um using fiction as that vehicle like that was the thing that kind of popped out to me in this i don't know i don't know what your thoughts on that is yeah there's there's two reactions to that um one is uh on tolkien himself and and the period of time that he was reacting to so um he's shaped by world war one and the experiences of yep. it and, and 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 it's a larger marker moment of everything from tolkien to hemingway you name it are shaped by that it's similar to how um the vietnam war and the civil rights movement combine to you know in effect movies are fundamentally different there's there's movies that that simply um 
would not have been made before. And, and the same thing for novels yeah. and in turn ones that might've been written or, or created before that, that no longer ring true. Right. Um, a, a, a movie example of this would be um, the green beret, which was a sort of classic John Wayne movie that is so out of date and out of place because the Vietnam war has happened and, and movie making has changed. And I feel like, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb on saying that we're going through one of those and in, in, yeah. in history, you call these hinge moments right. where not just the politics of the day, but the arts of the day um, are changed by it. And I, you know, that I feel like we're, we're living through that. Um, and mm -hmm. it, you know, I, we're going to see the effect on this of not just on my work, but everyone's work for, for it, we're, we're going to describe it in, in, you know, sort of pre and post yeah. um, the second to give a little lighter tone to it. Um, of what you were saying is useful fiction. Uh, it's something that I do to my kids. <laughs> it is sneaking veggies yeah. into a smoothie. Yeah. So it's got the good stuff but it doesn't work unless it tastes good. Yeah. So that, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it, and oh, by the way, um, you know, so it, maybe it tastes a little bit like a milkshake, but if it doesn't have the nutrients then then it's just for fun, it, 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 it has to have both. Um, it's got to taste good. It's got to be entertaining. You got to have compelling characters. You got to have scenes because the difference with, um, with nonfiction is you, don't at the start of it say, these are the primary lessons. You, the reader, the rule of fiction is the reader has to want to go all the way to the end of the book, right. as opposed to like a memorandum or even nonfiction, you know, you'll, you'll highlight summary right at the start, um, bottom line up front. Um, but, you know, it also needs that, that content to make it worthwhile, to make it useful. And so for us, we're using the means of narrative to share that um and you know like every good smoothie there's a recipe to it uh that's yeah. a little bit art and a little bit science uh i love it i would love to dig into that but but i i i know our time is coming to a close so i um kind of wrap up our podcast every single week i ask the same questions to every guest sure. and i'll be real quickly yeah, I, I mean, you can no 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 need to rush. We gotta we gotta enough time to get through them. It, the the big reason I do this is because I love highlighting the diversity of answers, and so um, you will answer very differently than somebody who is a you know thriller writer compared to a romance writer, whatever it might be, their life experience and how they write. What I want to show with these questions is always that there's no one way to do this this thing. There, everybody's on their own journey. We all have our own way to write and whatever works for you works for you. You don't have to second guess it because maybe Hemingway or your writing teacher told you differently. So with that said, I am going to ask you the first question. Question number one. Oh, I can't wait for this answer. Question number one. What is the one word that best describes you? <laughs> I can think of a lot of words that my kids would say. Um, Oh man, this is hard because you, yeah. you one word. Um, uh, uh, buffet. Buffet. Um, my wife, my wife hates buffets. 
but a illustration of my personality is um i i love used to love and we'll see post covid uh <laughs> i would yeah, right. um take a little bit i like buffets because i could take a little bit of you know everything from two different little bits of entree three different sides maybe toss some salad in there um i like to get a taste of lots of different things and i think that also reflects the uh writing that i've yeah, done totally. i've done totally. novels nonfiction, uh short stories lengthy you uh, even worked on a graphic novella project to wonky white paper so buffet yeah, yeah and even your novels are are many different forms kind of lumped into narrative form, which I love. Okay. Question number two, if you had to pick a spirit book, and this is like, if you were, if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, what book would that be? Oh, wow. So, um, we're doing this podcast through video, so uh, I can show him, um, <laughs> but I'll have to verbalize it for everyone because it's on the shelf directly behind me. Um, it is a, uh, leather bound copy of, it's a 1939 Jane's fighting ships. Um, this is a book, uh, that was given to my grandfather by the British Royal Navy after he did them a solid, uh, <laughs> during the start of World War II, longer story, but basically, um, it's, uh, you know, I used to leaf through it in, and, and so Jane's fighting ships is it's like an encyclopedia of, um, of all the warships of the day. It's what they use pre-internet to start figure out, you know, who's an enemy, who's a friend. Um, I used to leaf through it in my grandfather's, uh, his library and, and now it's mine. So it's, it's, you know, everything from a, a prize, you know, yeah. if there's a fire in the house, that's what I'm running out with yeah. to, I'm sure it, you know, psychologically probably, you know, what led me down the journey of becoming a writer was, you know, reading it. And, and like I said, in, in his library and the family connections to it. Yeah. And Jane's is just like this classic institution of I, I, what were you like military encyclopedia? Is that, is that the best way to describe Jane's or like, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and what's great about it is, is this, it actually had what they thought was the fact of, for example, the German warships back then, but now with the hindsight of history, we know, know, you know right. surprisingly, yeah. the Nazis were lying about some things. <sighs> um, so it, it's even more of kind of a, the, the airs in it, are interesting in and of yeah. themselves. Yeah, it, it hints towards an age where information could be printed and factually incorrect, which is almost like, I, I mean, like it's almost like a fact now you couldn't even, I'm sure it happens, but the idea that something like that in an encyclopedia of factually incorrect information is just mind bending probably to modern ears. It kind of is to you mind. know, Even too, it has the little ribbon sewn into the spine because you know that's what you use to to mark where you were uh to instead of you oh, know book bookmarking your website or whatever so yeah oh, that that would be my spirit book i love it i love it okay question number three is there a specific tool it can be anything at all pencil software chair coffee tea whatever that you absolutely must have to write Headphones, mm -hmm. um, to 
kind of drown out noise are, are around me and, and not to um, white noise, but uh, at least for fiction, um, but even for, for non, yeah, actually some nonfiction, uh, always music in the background. Yeah. And uh, actually folks um, who, who know my work, um, every one of my books actually has a song list to accompany it. So if you go to the website, like literally, uh, and it might be music that inspired a certain scene, um, or it might be something that we could imagine playing in a scene, actually that plays in a scene, um, uh, or it's in turn that sort of a, a, a song lyric that captures something about a character. So it'd be headphones with um, uh, music playing in the background. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? <laughs> um, you, when, when writers or would be writers approach me, um, someone recently had an idea of a book and they want, they asked me, you know, what do you think about it? And that a certain you know, plot to enlighten, but it's really more about, are you so passionate about that? that you're willing to make that commitment, that you're willing to live with that yeah. project, those, those scenes, those characters. Um, it's going to be months, if not years of your life. So you better, you know, in many ways, it's sort of parallel to a marriage. Um, oh, by the way, that's part of how you can test whether it's valuable enough. So the framing of them was, um, there were certain things about a character and I was like, uh, you need to be creating a character that people want to spend hours of their life with. Mm -hmm. So that for the writer, it's, it needs to be a character that you want to spend months or years of your life with. But for the reader, the sell is this character better be interesting enough that someone wants to spend, you know, how many hours it takes to read a book. So I think it's that initial like passion. You've got to have the bug. Um, and if you don't, if you're doing it for something else, it's going to be a, a failed project. Even if yep. you get through it, you're going to hate your life and it's probably not going to be all that good. So I love it that passion. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would that be? I think I just did. Yeah. I think that, you just did. Uh, yeah. you know, figure out, yeah. uh, do you want to spend months or years on that project? Do you almost feel compelled to spend it? And in turn, think about the ask that you are making of the readers. Why should they not just buy it? That, that's one part of the exercise, but more importantly, why should they spend hours of their life with it? Even yeah. more, um, why should they want to uh, come back for more, whether it's more hours of their life in that world or more hours of the life spent with your other work? Um, yeah. So thinking about those um, I think it's, it's, we often sort of jump ahead into, um, certain parts of the how before we make that decision of commitment. Yeah. I love it. Peter, how can people find you online or offline? Uh, so there's a, um, website pwsinger.com that mm -hmm. has all my books. Um, and, uh, each of the books have their own website spinning out from that. So for example, uh, ghostfleetbook.com, pretty self-explanatory, or burninbook.com. And then, of course, um, 
the books are all available through all the the great spots, um, whether it's the, you know, the biggies like the the Amazons to the um, the smaller indie bound or um, even, you know, your your local bookstore that hopefully yeah. you're supporting in a socially distant manner. All the caveats <laughs> that we have right now, right, right. Uh, any of the different ways to, to reach out. Okay. Um, what about social people. media, Twitter? Social, I, I, know, I know you have Twitter, but do you Instagram, Facebook? Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, Peter W. Singer. Okay. Um, and uh, I apologize in advance for the mix of uh, musings and humor if people are following me there. Yeah, okay. I've been surfing your Twitter page a little bit lately. Um, Peter, I, I have so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I feel like I could have kept going in a million different directions. Um, I, I, you definitely have a reader for life in me. I, I love the concepts that you have and I love the topic. I mean, it's it, uh, everything you're doing is right up my personal alley. And so I, I've really enjoyed this and thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really interested to hear all the reactions to this, both from useful fiction and co-authoring. I think we're going to have a lot of listeners reaching out and, you know, with blown minds. So <laughs> I, I appreciate both your kind words. And it's just fascinating for me also to, to talk about the craft of yeah. uh, all this. Um uh, you've, your question sort of forced me to reflect on certain things. Yeah. So again, really appreciate it. And just want to send the best to everybody out there. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you again to Peter Warnsinger for his time. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It means the world to me. Also, you can check me out on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're on Twitter, I'm starting to tweet more, like checking it out, hanging out, hanging out around the um, writing community hashtag. So if you want to uh, chat with me on Twitter, it is actually myself manning the, the keyboard. Would love to say hi. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a fantastic week of writing.